to an episode of When Russia is Your Neighbor, a podcast that does not steal the title of Tsar from Byzantium Emperor. Well, it's already stolen from Byzantium Emperors, so we cannot steal it from Byzantium Emperors. Yeah, guess by who? Oh, um, uh, oh, was it was it was it the was it the former Knights of Russia? Mm-hmm. It could have been, could have <laughs> could been, could have been, could have mm-hmm. been plausible. Yeah. Okay. So today, I really wanted to tell you about the Ivan the Fourth. Ivan the Fourth is. Yeah, Ivan the Terrible. The Terrible. The Terrible. Not so the- far, they've <laughs> all been not not too great. Like they've been pretty terrible so far. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm reading this book about him right now by Isabel de Madariaga, who was a British historian and she specialized on Russian history. She did very detailed and meticulous research. Like the information she gives in her book is mind-blowing. <laughs> yep. Um makes you speechless so far. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I realized that. I would love to tell you about Ivan the Terrible today, but it's impossible to tell about him and not speaking about his daddy, Vasily the Third. Well, he, he he was not terrible. I mean, he was not called terrible. He was not called terrible. But I assume he was. He, he was. So far, they've all been. Yeah, I mean, compare him to his dad, Ivan the Third, that we discussed yeah. last time. He wasn't that bad, but... Ivan the Third was a dick. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imagining Vasily was also a dick, but like being a dick can only go like so far. And once someone sets the bar of being like a massive dick, mm-hmm. you can only come so close. Mm-hmm. So you can be pre- very bad already, but still not meet that requirement. So <laughs> Vasily, um, Vasily yeah, 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 the Third. Yeah, yeah. So Vasily the Third was the eldest son of Ivan the Third mm-hmm. and Sofia Paleologa. Byzantine princess. Mm-hmm. Ivan III died in 1505 and Vasily acceded the throne. There was a struggle for a succession between 1502 and 1505 because Sophia was actually a wife number two oh. of Ivan III. Yeah. Right. He was married before to Maria of Tver and he had a son from this marriage actually. This son married to Moldavian princess and mm-hmm. before dying was able to produce an heir too. So, so it was it, kind of a struggle between the son from the second marriage to a Byzantine princess and a, and grandson. a grandson. Yes. Ivan III decided probably that son from Byzantine princess has more prominent dynastical future mm-hmm. than a grandson from his dead son's Moldavian union. Mm. And so he made Vasily an heir, while also arresting his grandson Dmitri and depriving him of his inheritance. Nice, classy. Okay. Ivan III had straightened Vasily's hold on the throne by preventing any of his own younger brothers from marrying and having children. And that's that's <laughs> another classic. Like, yeah. did, did he like make them like monks? Not really, like a couple of them died by their own death. Yeah. It's normal. And he just really wanted to make sure that this dynasty from Byzantian princes works. So he Mm. made sure that I want my dynasty to continue with this guy, with Vasily. Mm -hmm. So, by the way, Ivan III also had a daughter, which was like the elder sister of Vasily. 
her name was Elena, mm -hmm. and he married her off to Grand Duke of Lithuania, Alexander Yagelon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is what I was talked about. Muscovites were always trying to establish blood connection with former Kievan Rus, meaning Poland-Lithuania in that case. Mostly because of the elective nature of the throne. And her husband actually became king of Poland later, but Elena was never crowned. She refused to convert. Convert from Orthodox Christianity to Catholicism? Yes. Remember last time we were talking about the Moscow-Lithuanian war for city of Bransk? Yeah, they, they went to war like every four to six years. Mm -hmm. So her face was used as Kaza's belly by Moscow to invade Lithuania in 1500. Oh, God. It's just so stupid. So you are, you are trying to establish a diplomatic connection. <clears throat> by giving your daughter to a duke, a, cath a Catholic contender to the throne, right? So you go like, okay, she's going to marry him so that she would have rights to essentially be the queen if and or when he's crowned. But if they try to convert her to Catholicism, I'm going to go to war with my son-in-law, with whom I try to establish diplomatic connections just in, in case he's the king of Poland. That's that sound logic. I, I I'm buying that. That, that. that makes a lot of sense. Well, Elena was constantly used as a pretext to go to war with Lithuania and Poland. Nice. And she was used by her father, Ivan III, and she was used also by her brother, Vasily III. She <sighs> never converted, but she stayed loyal to Lithuania actually. She refused to interfere in the matters of the war. After the death of her husband, she continued to live in Vilnius. Mm. Mm -hmm. So Ivan III died in 1505, and mm -hmm. the husband of Helena died in 1506. Oh, and okay. immediately in 1507, the Muscovite-Lithuanian war resumes nah. because of Vasily III, and he uses the same pretext that the they're always trying to make Elena to convert and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, protecting the Orthodox Christian minorities of Lithuania is the pretext? Yeah. Oh, that seems familiar. Okay. Let's, so, Elena stayed in Vilnius mm -hmm. and... She was probably fine. Yeah. Evan III, being a dynasty strategist, was also concerned that Vasily, in his early 20s, wasn't married. He would love to marry him to a princely bride outside of Russia, and preferably to a Lithuanian family, because, mm -hmm. you know... Yeah, so somebody <laughs> has to take a chance at the throne of Poland. Of course, and this kind of marriage was no longer possible. Do you know why? I mean, there's only so many princesses to go around, probably not enough of them left for him to make a claim. Mm -hmm. Also, the Orthodox Europe was under Ottoman Empire. Everyone else was Catholic. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And thus, the practice of summoning a bride show was established. Basically, like a beauty parade of all suitable young ladies from noble families. Sounds extremely bad. <laughs> I mean, I sounds mean, very bad. It's just like, I don't know how to put a good spin on this. 
I wouldn't accentuate the attention on this because, like, everybody did it. I mean, maybe. Back in the day. Still bad. Anyway, Vasily chose Solomonia Saburova, the daughter of Boyer from a relatively modest family. And she was childless. Poor woman. Yep. What's interesting is that the same thing is happening at the same time to a Henry VIII of England. Wait, Henry VIII? That's that's the, the king that completely detached from Catholic Church just, just so that he can get a uh, divorce. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, in Europe, divorces were not infrequent. Mm-hmm. In Moscow, church did not approve of the divorce of an innocent wife. Russian clergy was way more rigid than European. According to one account, Vasily sent the letter to the patriarch in Constantinople for consent. Like, please let me divorce her because I don't have children. He was refused. Okay. So what Vasily does next is he removes Patrick, previously approved by Constantinople, without reference to Constantinople, and okay. makes the church basically submit to his will by sentencing to death and executing all those from clergy who have something to say. Oh, whoa, power move. So he... Henry VIII, if I remember correctly, he established his own church. Mm -hmm. This one, he doesn't. He just, we are Orthodox Church, and I don't need the permission of Constantinople to divorce. I just put the person on the position of patriarch Mm -hmm. that will let me do so. It's, yeah, and it's like a ways to go, and Constantinople is like completely dominated by the Ottoman Empire, so they cannot do anything about they it. They cannot do anything, yes. Okay, checks out. So, Vasily finally got his divorce, charging his ex-wife with witchcraft to make sure that it was a reasonable cause to divorce her. The evidence was kindly supplied by the brother of the wife. Brother of the wife. Yes. Oh, man. She was put forcibly to a monastery where, struggling violently, she was shorn as a nun, Sophia. According to some accounts, she was tortured to accept her fate. Yep. Ugh. Not only being a terrible neighbor, but also being a terrible husband. Now, she tried to free herself by saying that she was pregnant, but... She wasn't, so she was sent away. Okay. Now, Vasily held a bride show number two and chose his bride, Yelena Glinska. Yelena Glinska was a girl of 15. Vasily was not 15. He was not 15. He got his happily ever after in his late 40s with the girl of 15. Oh, <laughs> Oh my god, that's just disgusting. And by the way, Yelena was of Lithuanian origin. Oh, okay. So, another shot at Lithuanian's throne. Okay. Yeah. So, it is beginning of 16th century, which regarded by historians as the century in which the rise of Western civilization happens. Yeah, the Renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. That's when the Renaissance starts. Moscow, by this time, appropriated the word Rus that okay. belonged to Kievan Rus. Moscow appropriated the title of Tsar from Byzantium Empire. Okay, yeah. 
Moscow appropriated the title of Samodezhets from Tver. Right. They became and the so, church. The yeah. church. They also appropriated the church. That yes. is the key, the Kievan Metropolitan. Yeah. But it resides in like Vladimir or Moscow. Yeah, yeah. They became so-called Serdrom just because Constantinople fell to Ottoman Empire, basically making Russian Church independent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know this this statement that Moscow is the third Rome, but in reality, Moscow is the fourth Reich. I mean, nowadays, definitely. Anyway, <laughs> Moscow also appropriated coat of arms of Holy Roman Empire, regardless. Oh, yes, yes. Regardless, it was already used by other country. Yeah. They also stole many riches and Kievan Rus relics from their neighbors, including Kiev and Lithuania. I can see the Russian um, state foundation forming in this moment. It's like <laughs> the, the core ideology of what it means to be the state of Russia. Yeah, but, you know, something doesn't add up. At this time, Moscow starts developing relations with West, while also keeping relations with Hanites. You see, Mongols didn't really consider it Russians equal. I wonder why they've been a, like a colon, not a colonized, but like they've been their like sidekicks for what, like three centuries. And now they want independence and like equal mm-hmm. rights. So in order to be considered equal to Mongolian nobility to, to golden key, Russians has to pay a lot of money and give huge gifts to Mongols. And then Mongols will address them as equals. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they were just inferior. Mm-hmm. Then Russian envoys abroad were frequently traders, And this practice regarded as beneath their dignity in the West. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Negotiation with Sweden and Lithuanian order took place in Novgorod and not in Moscow. Because Novgorod was like considered a more civilized place. Mm. It was like a tradition mostly, you know, and it's like way older than Moscow. It is way older than Moscow. It seems like Russia was well established on the diplomatic circuit, but was, you know, disregarded. Its presence is largely ignored by Western historians. Mm. Instead of developing society, investing into economy and culture to prove Europe that Russian nobility should be treated equally with respect, Muscovites did what they will be doing forever. They rewrite their lore. Awesome. Yeah, I can definitely see that as another cornerstone of their national and just identity. How they do it. Mm-hmm. They gather all the appropriated pieces of glory that Moscow stole before, Mm -hmm. add up some famous Western names to it, and unite everything into fictional history of the glorious dynasty that should be respected and considered at least equal to Western dynasties, if not superior. (laughs) Wait, what? But they're like literally just a side branch of Rurik. Like they're not even the branch that was ruling Kiev. They were like the, the, like a second, third cousin for like something, mm-hmm. something that inherited Moscow and anyway, Vladimir. Okay. In 1525, the tale of the Princess of Vladimir appears. This literally work of art tells us the legend of Grand Princess of Rus descended from Prus, the brother of the Emperor Augustus, 
and that the regalia for the coronation were presented by the Emperor Constantine Monomach to his descendant, the Grand Prince Vladimir Monomach. Author of the book says, It is an anachronistic and farcical claim, and obviously is full of imaginary bullshit. Imaginary bullshit okay. is my... My words, not the author's No, words. but that, that already, like, <laughs> even on the surface, it's like, okay, how can they be descendants of... Okay. Yeah, like, no, first of all, on. the Emperor Constantine died when Vladimir Monomach was two years old. And also Vladimir Monomach was a prince of Kiev. He was not the prince of Vladimir or Moscow because mm -hmm. Moscow did not exist. Mm -hmm. His 6th or 10th son became the князь of Vladimir. Yeah. Secondly, let's talk about the plot and people mentioned there. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. In this historical, quote-unquote... Historical, uh-huh. <laughs> ...document, Alexander the Great was the son what? of Olympia of the Egyptian king and magician Nectanebo. After the death of her husband, Olympia returned to her father, <laughs> the Tsar of Ethiopia, <laughs> married a relative called Visa, MasterCard, no, um... <laughs> And gave birth to a daughter, Antia. Visa founded Tsargrad, the city of the Tsar, and called it Byzantia after his daughter. People who are into Greek history are probably in agony right now. Because... because but, so, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. So, basically, correct me if I'm wrong. Neither Visa nor or Visa nor Antia ever existed. Like, those are not real people. They like, made them up. I mean, what do you want me to tell you? <laughs> no, 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 but they made them up. But let's just... They made them up because, like, Olympia was indeed mother of Alexander the Great. Uh -huh. Do you remember the movie Alexander the Great? I mean, roughly. Angelina was... Jolie was... Angelina was Jolie, playing, okay. Yeah, Angelina Jolie was playing Olympia. She was indeed mother of Alexander the Great. However, she was the eldest daughter of King of Epirus, which is ancient Greek kingdom. It... It's not Ethiopia. It's not Ethiopia. That's no. like a different country. Okay. Yeah. Then, how the movie Alexander tell us, she didn't go back to marry a guy named Visa. She had a daughter. Yes. But it was from the same husband, Philip uh, II of Macedonia. Uh -huh. And her name was not Antia, but Cleopatra. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. So, but what I'm noticing is that just the level of imagination that the, the people who invented this document have is that they know that the country was called Byzantium, mm -hmm. right? And so they're like, let's deconstruct this name into Biza and Antium, which sounds like Greek names, and let's make up two people, Visa and Antium, and make it sound like one is the father and the other one is the daughter. And by putting their names together, somebody named the country. And I'm like 99% sure that's not how the name Byzantium came to like, like Yeah, into there existence. are there are many theories on the etymology of the name Byzantium. There is an ancient Greek legend that refers to King Bezos, but he was King Bezos? Yes. Jeffrey? <laughs> Look at all his money! What can you say? <laughs> we'll cut that. So, there is an ancient Greek legend that refers to King Byzus, but he was Greek and the leader of the Megarian colonists and founder of the city. This is like the main theory. Byzantium. No yeah, visa, no Antia. Yeah. <laughs> like, who combines the names of two people to name a city? Now, the tale continues. 
Later, Julius, the Roman emperor. Yeah, like Julius isn't Julius Caesar. Caesar. Yeah, meaning Julius Caesar. He is a Roman emperor and he sent his brother-in-law, Antony, to Egypt. Antony conquered Egypt and married its queen, Cleopatra. Uh The emperor Julius then sent his brother Augustus to put an end to this disorder and Augustus killed Antony. But Mm. meanwhile, Julius generous Brutus Pompey in Crassus rose against him and killed him, whereupon Augustus returned to Rome and became emperor. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> Julius Caesar was Mark Antony's mother's cousin, not brother. We for sure know that Caesar had somewhat a disorder with Cleopatra himself and mm. even brought her to Rome. After Caesar was assassinated, then Mark Antony had an affair with her. Okay. And Mark Anthony never conquered Egypt. He fled there from Caesar's adopted son, Octavian. When Octavian won the war uh-huh. against Mark Anthony, he became Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. It's, so here, Here's what I'm getting from this, is that Russian historians, quote-unquote, I'm going to say it, knew about ancient Greek, Roman, and Egyptian history probably slightly less than I do. And they just, like, put all these names together and tried to make, like, a cohesive thing out of it. It's kind of, it's like assuming that literally every name in politics you know are related to each other. It's like if I thought that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are cousins because they're both were candidates for presidency. Mm -hmm. When you spoke about Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, I thought, like, the only two names that I'm missing in this historical documents by the Russians are asterisks and obelisks. (laughs) that's like that's that's that that, they're missing out that like they're missing out on more prominent uh, gallic features the tale goes further augustus appointed various rulers to various lands one of these appointed rulers was his kinsman and brother pros pros lived a very long time until the fourth generation and until now these lands are called the prussian lands he lived until the fourth generation? Okay, so, so meaning yeah. like he lived like about a hundred years or something? He didn't live hundred years. It means that he had grandsons, like, grandgrandsons. Oh, great-great-grandchildren great, or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, by the way, at this point, the Great Duchy of Prussia exists, so I'm not really sure if it's connected. The book does not say if it was connected, but considering they that Russians just hear something and then put it into the documents. The document, yeah, yeah, yeah. We should mention Prussia as well. Yeah, like, I don't know. We're, we're going to put them on a the mixtape. Yeah. Okay. Because this document dated like five years before the Kingdom of Prussia. It, like, it, yeah. it is impossible. There's no such such thing it as a kingdom. It was pretty just... famous, so I think uh, they, they were knew. like, yeah. They were trying to like get a hit on like, oh, we're related to those guys. See, mm-hmm. Prussia, Russia, see the resemblance? The tale says that the certain Voivoda of Novgorod, Voivoda meaning the military man. Warlord. Warlord. Okay. Yeah. So a certain warlord of Novgorod named Gustamysl advised his subject on his deathbed to send to Prussia for a ruler. They did so and they found Rurik. Okay. So <laughs> now instead of recognizing that Rurik was just a Northman, like a Viking-ish sort mm-hmm. of figure, who came to Novgorod, probably somewhere from the north, like Swedenish. 
Instead, they're saying that Rurik is actually from Prussia, just so that can they can get a tie yeah, to Russia. Yeah, and meaning Prussia from the name Prus, brother Rus. of Roman Emperor. So that they can get a tie to the Roman Emperors. Yes. So this whole thing is just name-checking. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Fucking love this. I don't know if I would write an epic lore of my dynasty. I would actually say that my dynasty was founded by the brother of uh, Emperor and not by warlord. People, a warlord who like politely asked to like join. Hey, to, come, yeah, like yeah. you, you the guy who probably has some ties. Yeah, please come oh, and rule God. over if, us. You if, know. Yeah, if you go through all these. Make um, him the hero. Why not? Yeah, like- <laughs> exactly. Like you already made up like all the ties between Cleopatra and mother of Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar. When you went through all this effort, and now suddenly you like back off and go like, yeah, but but Rurik is just somewhat related. We're not sure how, but he's from the area. It's like that's like the dumbest thing ever. Yeah, it's like they could have. They just should have said that. Oh, and by the way, this is this was Julius Caesar's uh, bastard yeah, son or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, they should have just Agreed. doubled down mm-hmm. on this. Also, at the same time, a genealogy of the Lithuanian Grand Princess and the legendary story of the origin of the first Lithuanian Grand Prince Gedimin was produced too. By them. Yes. Oh, produced as in like from the creators of the lore of the Russian dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> the lore of the Lithuanian dynasty. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what it's going to sound like. Oh, God. I, I don't... Yeah, I yeah. want to know. Please continue. I'm um, sorry. In view of constant rivalry with Lithuania... Yeah. At the time for leadership over the lands of Kiev and Rus, mm-hmm. was given way more lowly origin mm-hmm. in the story. Of course. There was a certain princeling... Mm-hmm. His name was Vitanets. That's his and father. He was killed by lightning. Killed by lightning. Yeah. That's the best they could come up with. Yeah. Killed by lightning. And thus his wife took as her second husband a servant called Gedeminek and had several sons from him. Mm. He was a brave man, but he was a servant. You know. Gediman is the guy who fought Mongols, and his son yeah, liberated Kiev. Yeah, but you Kiev. see, he was Gediminic, meaning like Gediman, Gediminic. Um, uh, yeah, I know, less like lesser than. Lesser, you know, saying like John, Johnny. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. so tiny Gediman. Yeah, he was little tiny, G. Little G. <laughs> Jesus, no, but so I'm. Yeah, I'm just and in awe at how like just let me get this straight. What they're trying to do, really, in the concept is they're trying to establish diplomatic ties with the West because the West does not take them seriously. And now Moscow wants to be like, hey, no, we are your buddies, we're your partners, we're pretty much on the same level as you. And to support that claim, they produce this absolute nonsense of a document that literally nobody will take seriously. Solid strategy. Now... You would probably want to ask me why on earth I spent so much time on this document, which is clearly fictional and has no connections to reality. Mm -hmm. Well, because at some stage, Ivan IV 
Ivan the Terrible must have become acquainted with the tale of the Princess of Vladimir, and during his reign, they used it absolutely seriously. Okay. Russian princes' descent from the Emperor Augustus' brother, Bruce, was worked into the liturgy for Ivan's coronation. The title Tsar was used during Ivan IV's coronation instead of Grand Prince, and the ceremony was even more clearly based on East Roman practice than previously. The rites were clearly modeled on the East Roman example. So they're not only stealing the title, they're also stealing the traditions that come with it. Mm -hmm. It's like how to coronate, how to make the vows. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Consistency. Now, the regalia said to have been presented by the Emperor Constantine Monomach to his grandson, the Grand Prince Vladimir Monomach of Kiev, were central to the Russian coronation. This included Cap of Monomach. Oh, that's the one stolen from Kiev by the Mongols and sent to Moscow as a gift. Yeah, it looks like a Mongolian Gerald cap. Yeah, I know. And it used it, as a crown. Mm-hmm. It included also a scepter, a carnelian cap, splinters from the true cross and the barmy, or shoulder capes. Right. I assume it was stolen from Kiev when Kiev was sacked. I think, yeah, I think we did, we actually did cover that because in, in like one of the previous, like when Ivan Third made an ally with uh, the Crimean Hanat and they together raided Kiev. Crimeans actually captured the regalia of the Grand Prince of Kiev mm-hmm. and stole it and then sent it to Moscow. Now, I'm not sure about the... If, if that's the objects that are in uh, question, right? Object in question is the Cap of Monoma because the main hypothesis of origin of... Uh, of this cap? Of this cap is... Of old Moscow origin, one of the others is the Central Asian origin. Mm-hmm. Some modern scholars view the crown as a gift from Uzbek Khan of the Golden Horde to his brother-in-law, Ivan Kalita of Moscow, during the period of Tatar yoke in Russia. Oh, so it may have nothing to do with Kiev, actually. No. That's interesting. It's, the design is absolutely Mongol-ish. Some historians argued that the Tatar headgear was originally used in coronation ceremonies to signify Muscovite rulers' subordination to the Khan. I see. So even the regalia they use is a carryover of the Mongol rule. Now, after Ivan the Terrible had himself crowned the first Russian Tsar with his headgear, the Polish king asked him to explain the meaning of his new title. Ivan replied that whoever is crowned with Monomach's cap is traditionally called the Tsar because it was a gift from a Tsar, meaning Constantine, who had sent to Metropolitan of Ephesus to Kiev to crown Vladimir Monomach with this cap. Ivan was presumably not really aware that at the time of the Constantine Monomach's death, Vladimir Monomach was only two years old. That's, yeah, so how can you send somebody to crown your grandson yeah. if your grandson is two years old at the time? That's, yeah. None of this makes sense. Tale of the Princess of Vladimir formed the subject of one of the most dramatic propaganda frescoes on the walls of Dormition Cathedral in the Kremlin. 
Okay. This fictional document, the tale of Princess of Vladimir, was used absolutely seriously in negotiations with, for instance, Sweden and Poland-Lithuania. Mm-hmm. And the Rurikovich descent from the Emperor Augustus was constantly stressed. Muscovite <sighs> imaginary genealogists served to give historical dignity to the Grand Princes of all Russia, to raise them in the eyes of the subjects and other European powers. So... Yeah. It's so dumb because you actually had a connection to Rurik, which is at this point also at the base of like Polish and Lithuanian dynasties. So you have a legitimate connection to recognized dynasties of Europe. And instead of using that, you decide to go, no, that guy was actually descendant from. Roman emperors. Yeah. And everybody's like, no, they weren't. Unfortunately, the tale of Princess of Vladimir wasn't the only literary creation that inspired Ivan IV. The other one was also the tale of Dracula. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. And we will talk about this in our next episode. Oh, my God. I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Dracula was, like, famous for impaling, torture, complete Mm -hmm. brutality. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. um, We also have Twitter now, so follow us on Twitter. (laughs) At uh, Russia underscore next door. Yeah, give us some feedback. Maybe you're interested in something that you want to know. You can totally... Yeah, ask for like some topic for us to cover. Yeah, and see you next time. Thank you, and uh, try to avoid being neighbors with Russia at any cost.